Welcome to Friars and Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto with the big hip. I just saw, I just got back to the doctors about an hour ago. I um I saw the x-ray that took actually just post-op. They didn't even take an x-ray today. It was from the post-op, and there I am, two, you guys can't see it, but you got two f- giant hips, like titanium hips coming into my pelvis. It's gnarly. And joining us. Yes, and joining us is Mark Wilkins from Mad Friars. <laughs> okay, let's just say this out, out loud. Like, I'm I'm on some pretty heavy pain meds. Um, so if I get a little loopy, I'm going to kind of take the back seat in this episode. Uh, but if I say anything extremely stupid, uh, more so than I normally do, um, I'm just going to blame it on the meds. <laughs> That's a good deal. Good plan. on the meds. So how are you doing, Mark? Good. How are you doing? Talk about Mr. Roboto. That sounded like Mr. Roboto there. We lost you for a second. What corner of the world are you calling us uh, from? Uh, I'm in Carlsbad right now. I'm outside the office. Uh, do you have any plans on heading out to spring training anytime soon? I'm not sure yet. Um, I'm leaning towards no, um, but we'll find out. I really know. Because I know, I, just, I know the uh, the Godfather likes to get all you guys out there on a bit of a rotation, right? Yeah, I know he'll go. Um, I'm pretty sure David will go. Um, last I heard, I'm not sure about Kevin. I don't know about Ben either. So I'm not. I'm not really sure what the rotation is yet. Okay. And you're like, I, I just moved out of there, man. I don't need to go. Back. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just left. I, I've been gone for less than a year, but I mean, I I've thought about it. I'm just not too sure about the the one in the where. Um, we'll, we'll we'll see. All right. Well, let's lead off with some uh, some Padres news. Uh, the Cole today they announced the Cole Hamels minor league deal. Um, but the bigger news is the Michael Waka deal. Uh, this was announced what yesterday, I think. Um, and I love this contract. It's AJ Preller is getting so creative with the contracts now. So this is basically 24 million guaranteed. But there's a there's a two year team option. And then there's two individual player options. There's incentives going every which way. Uh, Donovan, what's your take on on the Waka signing? Dude, I, I, I when I finally read the, the financials on that, my head spun. I was like, hold on, what now? Okay, if we say yes, we give him eighteen. Um, if if our sixteen, if he says no and he says yeah, we say no and he says yes, uh, we give him like fifteen or something like that. Like I thought it was another creative way, and I think this is going to happen a lot more than just Padres of these contracts where they're getting money underneath the competitive balance tax. Right. Yeah. So you've got the, what, three and a half million on a salary. No, there's a three and a half million signing bonus and then $4 million this year. So that signing bonus spreads out over the length of the contract. So that's what, uh, what makes it uh, affordable for this year. Um, And you put the carrot out there. Here's the money. Go get it. If you think you're an ace, then prove it and we will pay you. Uh, Otherwise, He's got the security, the the safety that you know he yeah. can he can fall back on those. I think there's six million dollar uh, options. I I predict that something in between is going to happen. He's going to have a a decent, good, not great year, um, and then decide to opt out and try to find a contract similar to what we were seeing some pretty middle rotation guys signing this year for like fifteen twenty million dollars. Right, right. And then Cole Hamels. Uh, that's, that's an interesting one. I don't, I'm, I'm not expecting too much out of that. I took a look into him. He's only pitched three competitive innings since 2019. Yeah. 
So I, I'll, I'll be surprised if he, if he breaks camp, uh, even if he goes to an affiliate, I think they're going to try to assign him to a minor league team and he's going to decline that and just retire. Yeah. I, I saw the uh, John Heyman tweet where he threw back in uh, January of 27, 27th and he was hitting 88 to 91 and felt great and did really well. And like 88 to 91 is like 1990 fastball. 88 to 91, he better know how to throw those other pitches for, you know, for strikes and keep the guys off balance and turn into a, um, you know, more of a finesse pitcher than the, the kind of power, power arm that he used to be. Um, it, it's hell if, if it's depth, you know, it, it's no sweat off our back. I think it'll do great for, for El Paso if he's down there and he pitches for a couple, you know, if he, he takes a deal and goes up El Paso after spring training, um, that's another draw for that team. And, that's good for them. And if he's doing well and we need him to come up and there's, you know, a way we can do it. Why not? Really? Why not? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, and so to make room <laughs> for, uh, for Waka, uh, Eggy Rosario was assigned to the 60 day IL. Um, he fractured his ankle, uh, doing workouts for the, uh, the winter leagues down in, in Dominican Republic. Um, Mark, have you heard any, anything further on, on any of that? No, I haven't heard any any further update. Um, it's just such a bummer because Iggy was going to get a real opportunity to yeah. play a whole lot in spring training uh, and do everything he can to compete for a big league job. And now, I mean, even if he's on the 60-day, if he comes back this year, he's probably going to El Paso. Right. That's a good point that you made there because he's you're going to have a bunch of guys going off and playing on the uh, in the, the World, World Baseball, Baseball Classic. And so there's going to be opportunities for guys like him to play. Um and unfortunately that's gone. And I, I mean, I thought at some point in the season, people get hurt. You get guys yeah. come up, Matthew Batten wound up uh, playing a, a, a decent role for a part of the season last year. I was hoping to see Eggy kind of take on that kind of a role, um, but a broken ankle, he'll be out what, probably six to eight weeks and uh, back to full strength in a few months. So mid season, we might see him back. You know, the first thing I saw when I was at fantasy camp a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back, uh, Eggy was on uh, a, a, one of the machines and he was doing the arm rotation, but I saw a big old boot on his foot. And I'm like, what? What the hell happened there? And I actually texted John Conniff. I'm like, did did you hear anything about this? Because I, I don't think it was reported. I just know, like, he had a boot when I saw him about three weeks ago. And, you know, now he's on the, you know, they said that he broke it in winter ball. I don't remember that being reported. Do you guys? No, I did. I don't remember it being reported. I it, I got the impression that it was reported much later after when it actually happened. All right. Okay. So moving on to our next topic here, we've got uh, MLB Pipeline put out their top short spot, shortstop prospects for 2023, um, and our friend Jackson Merrill showed up a few times here. Uh, so under the top arm. He was listed in there as having a 60 grade arm. Uh, they, uh, the blurb here says you won't find many wet noodles at the six because of the difficulty of making throws from there. So it tracks that half of our top 10 earned plus grades for their arms. Mayor Merrill and Tovar. That's uh, uh, yeah. Mayor Merrill and Tovar seem most likely to stick it short, but Luciano and De La Cruz could put their cannons to use from third or the outfield. Should they need to move? Um, I saw in a video clip the other day, I think it was from 97.3, the fan, they've been putting out a whole lot of these little blurbs. Yeah, uh, they were talking that. to Jackson Merrill and he's been working at shortstop exclusively. They want to keep him there, you know, and it makes sense. There's no need to try to start looking for where is he going to fit on a major league roster with 17 shortstops. Just let him play shortstop until yeah. it's time to make a decision. Um, and that, you know, that's probably at least a year away. 
Absolutely. Uh, and with Hassan Kim out and Xander Bogart out for the WBC, he should see plenty of, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple starts, if not a few starts uh, in spring training games. And, and they're going to get a really good look at him. And everything that I've heard from Bob Melvin Presser uh, to guys talking about him, that he's just, he's really shown himself. And, you know, with the season that he had last year, the injuries going into fall, the Arizona Fall League, making a name for himself. Uh, he is just, he's on the rise. And that's what we're going to next. The highest riser in that shortstop class is Jackson Merrill. Yeah. So their, uh, their paragraph here says the Maryland native was considered a solid prospect when he went 27th overall into San Diego in 2021. The internal and external reports on him now, however, are downright stellar, starting with the praise for his all-fields hitting approach. Uh, wrist and hamstring injuries held the 19-year-old back from a full regular season, but he was still one of the most talked-about prospects in the Arizona Fall League after an aggressive assignment in the desert. There's a lot of helium attached to this spot at number six. Now, what impressed me going and watching him, yeah, all the stuff you see on the field but what impressed me was the off the field stuff, how he held himself, how he how he interacted with his teammates. And now he gets to see how big leaguers prepare and get ready to play every day. So this is going to be a great opportunity for him. You know, I'm sure they're going to option him. You know, he'll be one of the first guys optioned out of Major League Camp once Manny and Xander and and Kim are back. Uh, but for the first couple of weeks, he's going to get all kinds of experience. Yeah. All right, so no further ado, we have our special guest, Mark Wilkins, here. Um, and Mad Friars, uh, every year you guys all put out your individual top 30 lists. Um, does everybody have – are there any guidelines as to how John Conniff wants you guys to put them together? Or is it really just up to you to come up with your individual kind of how you Research. criteria? It's really up to us. I mean, I think that if we put something in there that – just looks completely off the wall. There would probably be a little bit of questioning in the editing, like, did you mean to put them in this spot? But, you know, for the most part, we have different criteria. Uh, obviously, what defines a prospect is different to everyone else. Someone who's 25 and is closer to the majors but has a lower ceiling might mean more as a prospect to one person than the other. Um, I think you saw that last year with Jose Azucar. Um, he was pretty high on, on mine and John's list, but he didn't really factor in on other ones just because he was a minor league free agent. Um, he was going to be playing in AAA. So it's just like, where does the ceiling go? I think other people value the younger prospects with the higher ceilings more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all of our own criteria. And that's kind of what makes it uh, interesting to read the, the different versions of it. And then also to see where we, we come to some sort of consensus at the end with the top 20. Right. Yeah, I, I always enjoy going through and reading because even like you guys have a little paragraph where you explain, you describe the player. Uh, and it's interesting to compare, you know, how you guys view different players. Um, so you've got Jackson Merrill. Well, I believe everybody agreed. Jackson Merrill, number one overall. Dylan Lesko, number two overall. Um, you and Ben Davey uh, included Ethan Salas in your rankings. Um, the other ones that have come out so far, John Conniff, Kevin Charity, I believe they published theirs before the Salas signing was announced. Um, right. And then right after that, Samuel uh, Zavala. Uh, and then after that is where everybody starts to disagree. In fact, Kevin has uh, Victor Lizarraga as, three, as third overall, which, as you note, is fairly aggressive. He's barely 18. He was a high, he was high school senior age last year, pitching in a ball, which is commendable. Uh, but he's a long way from the majors. Um, and he's got a lot of things to shore up before he can get there. Um, so let's see, you've got him at five. Eh, it's not a big difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Victor, um, 
I think one thing about him is, like you said, he is far away, um, but he really knows how to pitch. And it, it's going to come down to in the future, how does that stuff play with, with, with hitters who have seen a breaking ball before? But he is so advanced for his age and level as far as being able to approach every hitter that he, he, he has some helium depth. So you recently moved back to Carlsbad, right? Uh, I'm in Escondido. I work in Carlsbad. Okay. Uh, but you were out in Phoenix. Now, how long ago did you move? Uh, last April, like right around when the season was starting, I came back out here. Oh, okay. So you were out here for the full season at Lake Elsinore. Did you get up to the, to see the storm fairly often? Not that often. In fact, the only time I ended up going, um, after getting settled in was the, uh, the no hitter. Oh, <laughs> that's a great yeah. day to go. Yeah. That was a, a pretty random. Kevin was, was going to go work it. And I said, Hey, I'll just tag along and see what happens. And that, that that's what happened. So that was, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Wood had a big game. He was still still in town, and and um, uh, Wyatt Hoffman went like three for four. So it was yeah. just it was just one of those charmed nights for for the storm. That was really crazy. But I I, I ended up watching them more on on video than anything else, which was kind of funny because uh, I'm pretty close to them. But sometimes that's how how it works. Oh, and you don't follow him on Instagram, Roy? Like every weekend he's posting like I'm up in L.A. Here I am in the mountains. Here I am doing this. Like you're a man about town. <laughs> Um, I get jealous sometimes. I see your Instagram. I'm like, God damn, he went three different places this weekend. Like, I barely left the couch. Like, we went to a pizza <laughs> on a Saturday. Yeah, well, you're you're yeah, in rehab yeah. right now, so you're not allowed to leave the couch. Really, That's, that was pre rehab. That was full healthy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a, right. a little different getting around here than wasn't Phoenix for sure. So this year's list must have been a little bit more challenging than most because a lot of the top of the of the prospect pool has been traded away. Um, and then you've got a lot of players that really nobody's gotten a chance to look at, uh, but you still have to include them on your list. So guys like Robbie Snelling, Adam Mazur, uh, Henry Williams, um, these are guys that were drafted just last year. And I don't believe any of those three guys even saw the, uh, the summer league this year. So how do you go about sorting those guys into your lists? That's really a tough part. And you can make an argument for putting them in, in any position. And sometimes you have to trust their draft position because they haven't thrown a professional inning. Uh, and you're going off of what, you know, th- there's a little bit of, of film on these guys. I'm not a big film guy because I'm not a, a scout or a, any sort of prognosticator or anything. I, I usually go off of what I've heard about these guys and what I've seen in person. And when I haven't seen them in person, it's just kind of what I've heard. And yeah, especially with that group, you know, they, they've gone big into some college arms that have had some injury history, which is fine because injury history with pitchers is not a factor. They all have injury history at some point, but they've been taking these college arms where they've been almost buying low on them in the draft and they're going to work them out in Peoria. But when, when you're ranking them, that is a tough thing because you're going like, oh, does it matter more that, you know, he had a higher fastball before the injury and it should come back stronger? Does it matter that you know, someone has more projectable size. Is, is that going going to do anything? And I think sometimes you just say we're going to put them in the ranking and we're going to let them put themselves out of their own performance. But that's a that's a tough argument to make too, because a lot of times when someone will say, "Why didn't you put this person on the list? Why didn't you do this?" and and the answer is, it's a fluid thing, and it's going to change a lot next year. And and someone that's not on the list right now, I mean, the way that the, the farm system is this year, there are so many people from you know twenty to to 70 that could really shuffle in the next year because there there's a lot of movement there's a lot of talent that hasn't really seen the light yet yeah i noticed on this one that you guys don't have uh jagger haynes and he is on mlb pipelines a uh, top 30 yeah and um jagger is i know he's i believe he's been throwing again 
I saw um, I saw his bullpen when one. I was at a fantasy camp, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's been throwing and it's it's just um yeah, it's just another one of those things where you could very easily put him on there. Um there are so many people where if you say why isn't he on there and the answer is yeah, you, you very well could be. Well, really, know, when, it, it, sounds, it sounds like a cop out, but when you get to the to the tail end of the of the thirty, I mean, so you're going to have a few guys at the top that are the cream of the crop. Then you're going to have a handful of guys after that that right. are really talented, or maybe they're extra close. Uh, but then once you get to the back half of that, the difference between twenty and sixty or seventy isn't a whole heck of a lot. Right. There's a lot of talented guys out there. It's just a matter of who pops. Right. There's not a lot of difference in that group, like you said, at all. And also, you know, sometimes it comes down to who have I seen? Um, who do I have more to talk about? Um, just because I can say I know I, I know what this player does. Uh, that's something that I think is, is really interesting, too, about doing the different lists for each of us. Because John, David, Kevin, Ben, and myself talk to different people, go to different ballparks, go to different games at different times. We talk to different people in the organization. Uh, so you're going to have that. Every, it's, it's a portrait of everything, you know. Um, I've seen um, I've seen certain players three, four times. I've seen some players never, and there are players that I know John has seen a lot more than I have. So it's it's just kind of like who's where in the country, doing what at what time. But also, you know, like I tend to go to San Antonio, so I've been catching a lot of the players going through Double A. Uh, but the year before, I was in Peoria watching uh, a complex league. Like I saw that that group that Merrill was in a lot of the complex, but the group that was there last year, I didn't see at all. So did you attend a lot of complex games when you were living in Phoenix? Yeah, um, I lived about 15 minutes from the complex, and it was between um, my apartment and my job. So if I got off work around five, probably about three times a week. Oh, that's awesome! And so, is it like like spring training afternoon games? There's no like, there's no ticket counter, so it's it's just free for anybody that wants to go in and watch, right? Yeah, um, they're usually on the backfields in Peoria. Uh, they don't like to use the stadium there. Um, other places, it kind of just depends on what's going on when, like. Um, I went to one in Maryville and the Padres were there um, and they just used the Brewers stadium like normal, but yeah, there's no concessions. Um, there might be someone standing at the gate just to open and close it at some point. But um, when you get there, it's, it's mostly club personnel, scouts and people like that. And there will be like one or two families kind of filtering around. Right. It is summertime in Arizona. There, there were some games where it was 110 and raining. Um, the worst, most games were over triple digits. Definitely bring your own water. Um, but there was one night, this family stuck out the whole game, which was rare. People usually pop in for about three, four innings. And this kid took every foul ball in the park for that entire night. I think he had about 20 balls by the end. It was uh -huh. really cool. <laughs> Did you find out if they were a, a family of one of the players? I didn't ask them. I mean, they, they, they just kind of looked like they were just in the area and stopped by. Every now and then you'd go to a game and you'd see someone in, and the kid would be like in a Padres hat or in a Royals hat or right. one of the teams I was playing. So that was pretty cool. I have yeah. utmost respect for the umpires that work those games because oftentimes it's one guy working the entire game yeah, doing home plate and the bases all by himself. It's 110 degrees. Mm -hmm. They don't get to go sit on the in the dugout for a half an inning. They're out there every single pitch. Those guys work their butts off. And that's a really good point because that umpire will be running down the baseline almost every ground ball. Uh, unreal. Yeah, those guys are usually pretty young too, so they can do that. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 usually the young up and comer group, but they're still out there in those uh those, those dark flags and running up the baseline is pretty impressive because I'm I'm hot just sitting there. So <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, so I I noted that you have Ethan Salas in there at three overall. Obviously, nobody's had a chance to take a look at him. Um, 
were you just going by all the reports that you've seen? Uh, I know that like you can see what's um what's his name with Baseball America, um the international Gallo? no the the international the guy that writes all their international stuff, um his name's escaping my mind. Colazzo. Uh, no, not Colazzo. Ben Balder. Mm, I'm not sure. Anyway, wow. so <laughs> so who? How do you? How do you? How do you? I mean, like Keith Law refused to even include the international guys until he has a chance to see him. Um, so I guess you already kind of answered the question with the draft guys, but Ethan Salas is even more of a, of a unknown. Yeah. I mean, I used to exclude the international guys as well, just because we haven't seen them, but it's just with this draft class and with this prospect class, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different. I think Salas is a guy you have to have on there. Um, we, we've heard, I think I've heard a little bit through the grapevine, just, um, about some of the mechanics, but it's all right there. I mean, it, it, is it hard to project some of that age? Yes and no. Um, I think the, the offense is the hardest thing to project with him as a catcher. He just seems so advanced with a strong arm. Um, just a um, just a, a all time student of the game. Um, they talk a lot about him having a servant's heart, um, servant leader kind of mentality. So when you have those intangibles in, in, a, in a catcher, um, that's obviously kind of like the, the prototype of what you build in your mind of a catcher. And just knowing that at that age, he's only going to get stronger. Uh, he's only going to get a little faster, and if he already has power in his bat, you just you, know, you wait for the other parts for it to come around. But uh, um, there's just so much that you've never heard a bad thing about him. You've never heard like, yeah, he's at the top of the signing class, but like there's no there's none of that. And and at that age, I mean, the Padres, like you were talking about, the Padres don't put every teenager with an opportunity to go into the Cactus League, um, and if that's if they're serious about that, that's their impression of him. And obviously, I mean, it's beneficial for a catcher no matter how you look at it. But if they're if they're going to to have him around, you know, he's been catching major league pitchers, and you don't see that from typically if you're signing an international catcher, they're a little bit kind of kept off on the minor league side until at least they get through the complex. Yeah, he was at the mini camp, I think, at Petco, and he caught one of you Darvish's bullpen. Uh, they just announced say right before we got on on the pod. Uh, Kevin Acey wrote that they plan on having him probably catch a game or two in in Texas in the in the Cactus League, and that for a sixteen year old is absolutely insane. Even ninety nine percent of those guys always go straight to the Dominican um, and spend some time there just to kind of get used to being a professional ball player and kind of get their feet wet in the organization. So to have him, I mean, we paid all. 90% of our uh, signing bonus for him. They must think that highly of him. He must be that advanced where, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he'll probably, probably end, you know, probably be in the complex league, obviously this year, but might even get a taste of Lake Elsinore by the end of the year, depending on how that goes. Yeah. They're showing a real willingness. If they think someone is a fast riser, they they really starting to show that they want them to prove it. I mean, even with Merrill, obviously he had, a. you look at the stats, he had a great year last year. But he was also hurt. So for them to still be looking at just moving him up as fast as possible just says that you know, they're willing to give him every shot as long as they're willing to take it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So as far as getting Salas into Cactus League games, um, I saw a lot of people when the Padres released their list of non-roster invitees, people were like, well, where's Ethan Salas? What if he... And I, I think a lot of people don't remember that every day the team pulls guys up from the minor league side to fill out the back end of, of their roster. Every day there's like four or five guys that come up and they'll wind up playing late innings. Uh, so I'm sure we're going to see Ethan Salas 
fairly often in all of that. Uh, yeah. But even right now, just catching bullpens and they need all the the warm bodies with the catcher's mitt that they can get in spring training. Uh, and there's so many bullpens to catch. So right now, being around all those guys, I mean, just being around rubbing elbows yeah. every yeah, day with fair. those players, it's what an opportunity for him. Um, so you mentioned that you think Merrill is going to start in Fort Wayne, uh, but you wouldn't be surprised if he heads up to double A uh, pretty quickly. I would say there's a chance he begins the season in San Antonio. Um, he would have to have a hot spring training. He'd have to be the kind of eight guy. But we've seen that before CJ Abrams. You know, we've seen guys come in and be the star of spring, even though they're not a guy that's on track to crack the roster yet. And if he comes in, gets those opportunities there. He, I don't see why he wouldn't go to San Antonio. Um, I just think that with having missed the time last year, if he comes in the spring and just kind of lives up to expectations, it would it would make sense to see him in Fort Wayne. Yeah, right. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that they want to see out of these players is off the field kind of things how they how they handle themselves on a daily basis. You know, showing up on time and putting in the extra work and all that. Um, you know, the things that we've heard about Solace. And like how he handles himself in interviews, a lot of these guys, like you were saying, Donovan, that go to the Dominican League and spend a year or two there. A lot of that is like learning some basic English role stuff. And yeah, the the basic life skills that they're going to need outside of baseball. Um, And it sounds like Salas is way ahead of the curve on that. And what we saw out of Jackson Merrill and what we've been seeing so far, it sounds like he's ahead of that curve as well for, you know, somebody that's just a year removed from high school. Yeah, um, they, they're huge on Merrill's um, just the intangibles, the leadership, everything like that are, are uh, very advanced for someone that age. And it's it's that um, kind of that mentality where they're not afraid to have him around the, the big leaguers in camp that it, it wouldn't it affect his ego, but also wouldn't intimidate him. It's kind of the feeling that, that it, they seem to have. Can you imagine being 19 years old and having a locker right next to Manny Machado and and you Darvish and all these guys? Well, actually, he uh, he grew up a Red Sox fan, and at Fan Fest, he ran into Xander Bogarts, and Bogarts goes, "You're coming for me," and and Merrill with the with the strength of forethought goes, "Nah, man, I'm not coming. I'm coming up to play with you and win with you." Like to have the kids say that is insanely forward thinking and more of a team mentality than some kid going, you know, oh my god, that's my that's the star I've watched my whole life and just kind of fumble through it, like yeah, sure, or whatever. Um, but having to say that is huge. Who do you think he was more excited to meet, Bogarts or uh, Don Orsillo? It could have been Don Orsillo, really. <laughs> All right, let's move along. We uh, we uh, we're running out of time for our first segment. Okay, so Dylan Lesko, we we skipped over Dylan Lesko. How how does anybody evaluate Dylan Lesko? I he could the the whole. The the person that my mind thinks of next is Jay Groom. And Jay Groom was a first round talent. And then he blew out his arm and he came back and he hasn't quite been the same. Um, how do evaluators have the confidence in a guy that didn't even pitch his senior year in high school to be able to come back and have the stuff that makes him, you know, worthy of being a top three in the organization? You know, that's a that's a really good question. And I know some of it comes down to age. Uh, if, if you're going to get injured, you might as well get injured when, when you're younger. Um, and I know some of it has come down to, you know, so much of, of prospects is projection anyway, uh, especially with, with coming out of high school. You're looking at, well, this is what they could be. You're looking at ceiling and floor and everything like that. And with, with um, Lesko, the ceiling is so high. And knowing that the odds of recovering from one such surgery are, you know, close to 100. They're, they're good. Um, and that he was, you know, throwing – 
low 90s at his age, everything like that, you're saying that that development curve shouldn't really be impacted by what has happened with, with the injury. Um, obviously, that's not always the case, but um, I'm, I'm sure the Padres have access to all kinds of medical things that we don't know about as far as what they've seen with, with him. Um, it didn't seem like any teams really had any big questions about it. It wasn't like uh, Kumar Rocker or any situation like that where it, it seemed like teams were kind of backing off. And, you know, they definitely felt like they were they were kind of getting a value there in the draft. But, yeah, it, it's it's tough. And that, that's something that I try to I just think about these prospect lists is like I don't have a reason not to put him in the top five. I mean, just where he was drafted, right. that matters. Um, what they're projecting, that matters. But um, it is a weird feeling putting someone in there and being being like, well, you know, we'll see what happens when he throws. And, and a lot of the list is like that just with the nature of, of the prospect list. I mean, the, the only – so you look at the top prospects right now, a lot of them don't have that track record because guys like Capisano graduated from their prospect status. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to put one more thought in there uh, since we were talking about Lesko um, and the other guys that are Tommy John rehabbers. We learned a couple years ago through talking um, with uh, Mason Fioli, we learned about the, 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 what did the, what did he call it? There's a program that major league baseball has for the pitchers that are going to be in the draft. Yeah. where they go in and they have scans, they get an MRI of their elbow, they have a bunch of things done. There's like a full physical that they go through. So I wonder if that might give teams a little more confidence that they know that structurally everything's sound, they see what's clean, they know there's no weird bone chips or anything like that. Um, that probably gives them a little bit more confidence to sign these guys that are, you know, question marks because of of health, health questions. Uh, but somebody who really... Ha- turned a question mark into an exclamation point last year with Samuel Zavala. Uh, you've got him number four on your list. Uh, did you have a chance to see him all? Well, you said you only made it up to Lake Elsinore the one time, uh, but he rocketed up last year. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he, I saw him a little bit in the complex and in Lake Elsinore, I, I don't, if he played that game, he, he it was not a big night for him. I don't think um, he was up but, there by then. Yeah. So he, yeah, so so I haven't seen him since he's he's been doing doing what he's doing now. Um, other than than on uh, on the the MILB TV, but um, it, it's always great to see a guy like Zavala because you see so many guys that are in the in the complex, and you're, you're thinking like, if they could turn that corner, it would be so cool because they've got all these tools. And it, you know, you hate to say that most of them don't. Most of the guys that have a, an okay time in the complex, they kind of don't take that that step, and and, and he really did and, and just became a, a real home run hitter, uh, which is rare in the organization right now. Uh, just a real a real dynamic bat and just um, one of the more exciting guys. And you love those pop-up prospects, especially at a time like this, because you're looking to fill in those gaps. And if you can play the outfield right now, they have room for you all over the organization. So he's yeah. going to get every chance to just keep building on that. I, th- I yeah. think at the end of the year, he was the youngest guy in the California League. Yeah, I saw a lot yeah. of him last year. He was really good. Uh, can play in the outfield. Can stick in. He can stick in center field. I think. Um, although Wood was out in center field a lot. Um, hit for power has a great strike zone awareness. Like I, I saw a lot of him, and we actually interviewed him for the podcast. But I, I, really high on Simon Zavala. He was the youngest guy out there. I don't think he's nineteen years old yet. I think he might turn nineteen or even eighteen this year. Um, and has a high ceiling. And I think other organizations and other national writers have uh, have their eye on him as well. He's 18. He turns 19 in July. Yeah. And his dad's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) 
his dad is his is his hype machine. Yeah, I do totally. His dad is behind that that Twitter account for a while. I thought it was Sammy, but it's his dad. It's like anytime anybody mentions Samuel Zavala, he's retweeting that. Yeah. All right. So I went through and I sorted, I made a spreadsheet. I'm a nerd. And so I make spreadsheets. That's one of the things I do for my job. Um, and I put together all of the Mad Friars listings so far, as well as pretty much everything else I could I could find out there. Um and I mean, you've got like prospects 1500, they rank the top 50 and I don't know how you can go 50 deep. So I wanted to just compare uh, some of your guys. So you're the only one to put Griffin Dershing on the, uh, on the list. And I became a Griffin Dershing fan pretty much the first time I saw a picture of the guy. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just fascinated with the dude. Ryan Bosworth. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that Bosworth look to him. I, I definitely, with the 30 spot, I almost went with like, who can I put on here that I want to have on there and, you know, in case they really pop up. And now as we're with Dershing, I mean, that's a guy who every single aspect of the way that baseball is played now doesn't support him being in professional baseball. Right. Every philosophy the Padres have don't support him being in the Padres organization. But if he can just keep hitting bombs, he could, you know, he could just keep going as a first baseman DH. And if he could just, you know, that's how Nelson Cruz exists. If he can just keep hitting home runs, yeah, he'll have a job. That's that's not a bad comp. But so, what you say, like uh, organizational philosophy wise, um, are you talking about like like chase rate and things like that? Yeah, the chase rate. Um, obviously, that's something they want to work with him on, and also just versatility. They love to just take as many shortstops, preferably shortstops who uh, bat lefty or switch hit, and they love to just just put them out there and see where they end up positionally. And and yeah. usually if someone's left-handed, they better be a, a center fielder because usually they don't, they don't reach for first baseman. And here they have a right-handed first baseman who's already kind of looking more like a DH in single A, but he's just hitting home runs. <laughs> and it, it just, it just goes against, you look at the way the Padres draft and that's not who they usually turn up with. Right. I, that's, I was surprised to see the, the selection, uh, and then once I started seeing pictures of what the guy actually looks like and seeing him move out on the on the field, like you're right, he's not. You wouldn't you wouldn't call him athletic watching him play first base. He plays an okay first base, uh, but he's not cat like out there. He's a big plodding. I mean, he's built like a linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, they don't take a lot of guys like that. I, um, Brad Zunica is the last like straight up first baseman I could think of before they before they picked him, and they took two first base only guys. I think what was it? Uh, Nathan Martorella, I believe, was the other first baseman that they took in the draft, and it was just so unusual. Yeah, it was a real shift for them, and it was just um, almost in a way I, I like to believe because I do think that the Padres draft well that when they go off script, it's for a reason. Kind of how they they kind of went off dri- off off script really with. Um... With Josh Mears, I mean, a, a guy who has he's a he's built like a like a like a linebacker, uh, has the per, just prodigious power, but you know, didn't see a lot of elite competition going up in the Northeast. Right. So, um, you know, you look at the guy you're like that guy's gonna be a major leaguer, but you watch him play, and it and it's taken some time for him to kind of develop. Um, I saw him again at fantasy camp, and God dang, standing next to that guy, just like it's nothing but muscle. And when he hits the ball, yeah. it's just, it's dented. He dents the ball. Um, I'm thinking, I'm hoping big things. I'm really hoping that he does um, work on that chase rate in, you know, over, obviously over the season, but in the spring training and going into this in the next season. Um, I would love to see this guy kind of break out this year. And I kind of feel like it's maybe even a, 
not a make or break year, but certainly a year where like, he's been in the organization for a couple of years. They know what he is. He knows what he is and he knows what he needs to do. But can he take that next step to kind of be maybe um, get back on some of these higher prospect lists that I think have dropped him in, in other lists? Well, since we're talking about lists, Conniff and Charity both put Joshua Mears at nine. Ben Davy has him at 13. Mark, you're the low man on Josh Mears. You got him at 21. So that strikeout rate must really concern you. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, like, I, I just want to make clear, like, I take no joy in that. I'm not, you know, you know, smiling about taking Mears down the list. And we're all Padres fans at, at Matt Friars, yeah. and you want to see everyone do really well. Uh, with Mears, it, it just, that whole year where he went from, uh, you know, Fort Wayne going all the way to the complex. Um, that's always a red flag. Um, even with a pitcher, it's a red flag. But for a hitter to go and reset, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to just say, hey, it's not working. Something needs to change. But then even after that, the results, you know, the results in the complex league itself were good. But he's well advanced past that league. Yeah. Uh, so he just needed to show me a lot more in San Antonio. And and moving him to San Antonio was was interesting. I know it's where they needed some help. Um, but it's not the, the best confidence builder of a park. Um, and you're starting to see pitchers that are throwing a little more breaking balls and off speed at that level. But I just want to see, see Joshua have a full year of maybe even staying in the same place and just improving on, on what he needs to improve on. Cause like you said, we know he's going to hit the ball a mile and that's awesome. Cause the Padres need that. Uh, we just want to see that he can, you know, not strike out as much that you can do all these yeah. other things that you know get get the get the on base up and all all those things. But that, that's it. Um, I did. I just felt compelled to move him down because I don't I don't see him as a top ten prospect with what happened that year. That's fair. All right. So somebody else that kind of divided you guys is Rosman Verdugo. Uh, you ranked him seventeen. Kevin Charity has him at 23, and then Ben and John left him off their lists. Uh, I know Donovan's become a bit of a Rosemont Verdugo fan. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a Verdugo fan. Um, that's one where it's tough. I mean, it, it comes down to, at that level, how how much have we each seen of him? Um, it could be none. It could be very little. But I just think that uh, he, he showed impressive power in some small bursts there, which you don't see a whole lot of um, at that level. And... You know, defensively, he's probably coming off of shortstop, but that's okay if he can keep doing that. If he can keep showing some pop, they can always use someone who can play second or third too. But I, I think, I think he's he's a he's one of those guys that in the preseason I put as a decent prospect. He's got to prove he's going to stay there after they bring in a new class. Yeah. So you you question whether he'll stick at shortstop. He's listed at six foot one eighty, uh, probably a little heavier than that. What what is it about him that makes you think he's going to slide off shortstop? Just the fact that if they're already doing that a little bit, that's usually when you start to wonder, like, like is it just because they have better talent to that level or is it um, other reasons for it? I haven't heard a reason why. Um, I think what you have them listed at could contribute to that. Um, but when you don't see someone just come in as like they're the shortstop, then they may not they may not be the shortstop. I mean, you see like a guy like Merrill who has just kind of stuck to it. Um, Abrams was always going to be that guy for the most part. They were just kind of giving him some second base to learn it. Um, the last time you really saw a guy take shortstop back in a big way was was Aggie, and that was yeah. kind of by attrition. But at the same time, it's not like he can't play the position. Right, right. But at the major league level, I doubt we're going to see – I mean, obviously on this roster, you got 17 shortstops, right. but – 
Um, Eggy, when you watch him play, he seems better suited at second base or or third base. Yeah. Um, he doesn't make the the type of eye popping. He doesn't have the range, the the cannon arm um, that like say somebody like Gabriel Arias uh, had, where you look and you go, that guy's a shortstop. We want him there. Right. And and if you ask Eggy, he'll tell you that he loves second base. That's his home. But in the Arizona Fall League, he played a dynamite third base, which I didn't expect. Like yeah. he was all over with the gloves. So he shows a little more than he lets on, but he, he he's com- most comfortable at, at second base. I mean, the guy's just a ball player. Yeah. So another guy you got at the end of your list is somebody that's been a bit of an enigma to me, Ray Kerr. You have him ranked at 29. Uh, ben Davey puts him up at 17. I guess Ben Davey has a thing for lefties that can touch 100 miles an hour, which is rare. Um, and then Conniff and Charity left him off their lists. We've only seen little glimpses of him at the major league level. Uh, what what What's like the boom and bust of him? Well, the boom is a lefty who can touch triple digits, which is um, a lot more common now. But even ten years ago, was unicorn status. But it's still something that the it's a toy the Padres didn't have before. Um, he's he's a late bloomer, which is why I still include him as a prospect because he's someone who, even though he's in his uh, late going on his late twenties, and someone who has played the major league level, he's someone who is just starting to harness his command. Um, but the bust is the command. Um, if he can, if he can just figure out that stuff that he has, and he's a guy who just a few years ago was not throwing anywhere near the velocity that he has. So he almost gives you the impression of someone who's got a new, a new big toy and doesn't quite know how to use it. And if the Padres can work that into something where he's effective, he's the kind of lefty with that velocity that can handle the modern three batter rule type of bullpen. Um, and I still consider him someone that he, he can do it, but I think this year will determine if he, if he graduates from prospect status into a big league reliever, or if he moves off the list entirely. You know, what you were just describing, uh, made me think of somebody that we saw briefly a couple years ago, Brad Wick. Um, he bounced around the Padres organization for a long time, um, came up briefly with the Padres and then wound up getting traded to the Cubs and has become a serviceable reliever for them. Yeah. And he was one of these lefty high velocity, had no idea where the ball was going. Um, and over time he somehow reined that in. So now he's a, he's a useful kind of a player. Do you think that's kind of a reasonable parallel to draw? Yeah, that is a good, that is a good parallel. I think relievers in general are, are volatile until they figure out how to not be. And especially lefties, there's just something about it. When, when you're when you're a lefty who uh, when you're a lefty with gas, there's just something there's just something weird in the mix where it's just unpredictable. And until he's not, he's just going to be um, erratic. And and sometimes those erratic relievers, they have so much potential in their stuff that yeah, they do figure it out in their thirties. He he could be that guy. He could be a guy who figures it out now. Well, let's hope so. He's on the forty man roster, so uh, if he can figure it out this season, he could be a a heck of a weapon for them to pull in. Yeah, as the season didn't, goes by, didn't he get a cup of coffee last year? Yeah, he's been yeah. up. I think in the last two or three years, briefly. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk. To, let's talk about guys like Noel Vela and and Jairo Iriarte. These young guys that have come onto they pitched for Fort Wayne. Or sorry, they pitched for uh, Lake Elsinore and had made this list. I, I was a big fan once again of, of Vela and of Iriarte, both young guys that uh, show a lot of promise. Yeah, you know, Noel Vela was. Um... Sometimes he was the, the best pitcher in the organization last year. And then sometimes he was walking them loaded over and over. It was, it was really a tale of, of two pitchers. And 
Um, he showed so much potential, which was great to see. He's been in the organization a long time. I mean, he was, I think, the youngest guy in his draft class to sign. So he's only, I want to say, 24. And he's been around for a minute, but he's just really slowly climbed up the levels. And, you know, he he got he got that little, little taste at the end of some higher competition. And it wasn't great, which you, it's, it's, it's always a little discouraging when that happens, but he'll probably just get right back at it. Um, but it's it's just going to be walks with so many so many of these guys. I mean, it's the same with Iriarte. It's just it's just walks and just you know command and 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 have and and being able to take advantage of, of what you've got with your stuff. Well, and and with that, do you think you know maybe a move to the bullpen can really kind of bring out the best out of Vila as well? Because he's twenty four. I keep forgetting he was twenty four last year, and I saw a lot of him in in A ball. So you know maybe you move him to the bullpen that you can kind of. Uh, get a little bit more value out of him and kind of have him figured out a little bit shorter stints. Yeah. I mean, it's always an option. The Padres seem a little reluctant to ever do that. You kind of see that happen as like a last resort in El Paso. Um, I, I haven't, you don't see a whole lot of converting of their arms until they really feel like they have to. So I, I think he, you know, and just with the depth they have, I think he gets another shot in the rotation and then that decision. But even a guy like, like Reese Kinnear, who, is arguably at his best as a bulk reliever. You still see him get that opportunity to start. So somebody on the list here that, that has been a bit of a, of a mystery to me is Corey Howell. I haven't had a chance to see much of him, uh, but you get out to to San Antonio a couple times a year. Did you have a chance to watch him play? Unfortunately, he got put on the IL um, pretty much as I landed in San Antonio, um, which I've had that luck. You know, I was supposed in 2021, I was supposed to go talk to Kinnear and see him pitch, and he got called up to the Padres or came <laughs> at the airport. And then uh, last year, it was Hal getting, getting put on the IL. Uh, but I still got to talk to uh, Raul Padron about that. Um, you know, Hal was a guy who showed up. This is a very raw athletic talent. I mean, he's a guy who plays a whole bunch of positions. He doesn't really have a, a positional home yet. Um, and he's, he's a, a pretty decent base dealer. He's just got a lot of, of ability to play the game. And they just they just really worked hard on on his his chase rate, his approach, and his zone, which are those things that you just hear the Padres hammering on over and over and over. And he had a tremendous. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but his if you if you if you put his season in the two halves, which is unfortunate because he didn't play a whole lot, but if you, if you just turn it into two halves of a season, he, he was a, he was totally different seasons, and he really vaulted himself into being. I thought he was going to be in El Paso by the end of the year. Wow, he um, had a two fifty three three ninety four eighty six final line, so. Yeah. Yeah. He he was a guy who was all of a sudden he just the light turned on. Uh the adjustments that that Padron made with him were, were dynamite. And I think that if he can come back with that that same approach that's still working for him, um he's a guy who could rise up pretty quick. Yeah, the uh, the month of June he batted 308, 386 with a 539 slug. Uh you mentioned he's yeah. kind of doesn't have a position. He plays more outfield than anything last year, but he's got the speed for center field. He's got the athleticism to play some shortstop to second base. Um, kind of sounds like a little bit of Eggy Rosario from an athleticism – or not Eggy Rosario, um, Estuary Ruiz from an mm-hmm. a, a, uh, athleticism standpoint. Um, he's listed at six foot three, which is a little bit on the on the bigger side. Uh, ha- have you had a chance to like watch him move? Is he is he like the cat like kind of kind of guy? Yeah, I would say that that um, he, he's that kind of guy that the lifting in, in the in the, the height and weight will deceive you. Um, you talk about guys being built like linebackers. He's playing more like a safety. Um, he can really move. And um, 
if I had to assume, I would say he probably loses playing the infield as he moves up. But um, kind of kind of same with Ruiz. Um, but yeah, just an athlete who's who's just beginning to tap into some of the finer points. Right, and stolen bases are a part of his game, so he's got the speed. Uh, and just being able to play the infield is a nice tool to have in your pocket. You know, yeah. from a from a flexibility standpoint, you know, the Padres love guys like that. They do. They don't. It's been a while since they've. Uh, Preller doesn't seem to really enjoy having a super sub. They kind of used Profar like that initially, but it kind of felt like once the infield got crowded, they were happy to not have to do it anymore. And I think that's kind of how they look at most of the players. They tend to look at them as infielders or outfielders. Right. Yeah. Well, and now that back in the day when you had rosters full of guys like Alexi Amarista, it's like where you're just trying to find a body to to do a job but now you've got established veterans all over the place um you know the easiest part of bob melvin's job this year should be writing out the the lineup the defensive side of the of the lineup card right um so let's see who who else haven't we talked about on here ryan Berger. Uh, you've got him at 23. Con have had him at 22. Davey and, and Charity are sleeping on Ryan Berger. He was pretty much Fort Wayne's best pitcher all year last year, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, um, Ryan's a guy that um, I think I got a little look at him in the complex, but nothing that, that stood out. I think he's one of the guys that showed up for a minute. Um, but, you know, Fort Wayne did not have the best season last year, but he stood out as someone that, you know, he's one of those guys that I just think that, Going into 23, he could be such a riser that where he already was, I think he's worth mentioning. Um, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to attribute too much to his name at this point. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about who stood out in Fort Wayne. He's definitely on that list. All right. So let's move away from the list a little bit. Who are who are some, you know, I know everybody, we all get our personal favorites just from watching somebody or some interaction we had somewhere along the way. Um, who are some guys that you didn't include on your list, but – you uh you have a personal af- uh, affinity for them. I love my catchers, uh, Michael Cantu and Chandler Siegel. Um, they I can't give those guys enough credit for the work that they do with the pitchers in the organization. Um, if you get to an, if El Paso is playing at seven o'clock at night, Michael Cantu is there at noon, and if you get there as uh, media availability around like three, he's already drenched in sweat, and that's what he does for every game in the season. Um, which is just something that you have to give credit for, even if yeah. you know the, the stats aren't always there. Everything else, um, Jordan Guerrero um, is a guy who I think is—I mean—that's a guy who could pitch himself in the top fifteen on the Padres prospects list if everything goes the way he wants it to. I mean, that's a guy who's going to touch triple digits again, most likely. Um, he was right on the so, verge when he got hurt. Yeah. I I thought he was yeah. knocking on the door. Yeah, so that's a guy who. He could he could vault right up that list. It just depends on on everything going the right way. But that's someone that you're always rooting for. Um, well, we've had the yeah, opportunity to, to talk to all three of those guys. We had uh, Chandler Siegel and and Michael Cantu as call in episodes uh, yeah. interviews. Um, and I know Donovan had a chance to talk to to Jared uh, Hawkins. Alec, we talked to Al, you know Jacob uh, Alec Jacob. But all three, um, all three of those guys yeah. that you mentioned, they have so much personality. They're so much, they're so engaging, uh, you know, fun guys to be around. And those are the guys that same thing with me, you know, they, they catch your eye and it's just like, I like this guy. I want to see him do well. Yeah. I mean, the organization is, is full of that. And that's one of the, I think the joys of, of minor league baseball is that, um, you know, like, like I think Jordan still has a really good shot at wearing a, a 
Padres uniform. Yeah. Um, Chandler has an outside shot. It just kind of depends on the offense. Um, Cantu is one of those guys you never know. But when it comes down to it, whether those guys end up coaching, whether they end up playing for a while, they end up doing something else. Those are the guys you meet along the way where it's, it, it's a really uh, uniquely minor league experience. These guys are doing it. You guys know how much they're doing it for the love of the game, how much they're they're sacrificing, they're 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 staying in, you know, six guys to a room and hopefully that changes really soon. But they're doing all these things where they're not on these these contracts that these guys get, but they're they're there every year. And um you hardly ever see them without a smile on their, on their face. I mean Chandler, we were out in uh we were out in San Antonio last year. Chandler Siegel hits, I think his fifth home run of the year. He's not a big home run guy, but he also uh caught a foul tip off off the old manhood. Uh-huh. And uh, I talked to him after the game, and he's got an ice pack between his legs, and he still talked to us and still had a <laughs> smile on his face as much as he could, even though he's in uh, pretty strong, agonizing pain. So those are the guys that, um, you know, if you love baseball, those guys love it even more than you. And yeah. uh, you're, you're always rooting for them, no matter what happens. You know, and the, there's not a lot of credit given to those guys that help pitchers develop, that help other guys develop, that, you know, that right. what they do in the organization to help guys get better. And you're right. You know, we talked to Raul Padron about Chandler Siegel, and like the glove is there. The glove is absolutely major league ready, but it's the offense. And this year, I particularly paid attention to his offense going, just get, uh, you know, put a couple weeks, a good stretch of two weeks in at the plate. And, you know, you're going to put your name out there and they're going to, they're going to give a hard look at you. But, you know, it, it, it was hit and miss with him. Um, with, with Michael Cantu, I wouldn't be surprised if they move him off catcher. To, to create value at first base. Like I saw him a couple of years back um, in spring training and he was, he was at first base, had a first base with his glove, it was worked in and he looked good doing it. Um, I don't know if maybe moving him around might give him a little bit better value. I know he is, he is another one of those guys behind the plate that are one of those unsung heroes that help people get better while he kind of gets overlooked. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they work so hard with those, those pitchers they catch their own bullpens i don't think people realize that you know the the san antonio missions do not have a bullpen catcher it's going to be one of the two or three catchers on the team uh that's the way that these affiliates work so these guys are in there every time one of their pitchers are throwing they're the ones there they're the ones giving the feedback to the coaches so it's a very important job i think it's part of why you see these guys have consistent pretty long minor league careers with these organizations because it is a quasi coaching role in some ways, but yeah, a guy like Kansas, you just want to see you get consistent at bats and yeah, Siegel, same thing. You just want to see him. Yeah. Put together a couple months where you're, you're, you're OPS and around high sevens and people are just going to go, okay, there's a catching prospect. Right. Right. Um, another guy I want to talk to, uh, talk about, uh, we've had on the podcast is a uh, Marcos Castagnon, um, out of USB, uh, a late round guy that just, he just seemed to be hitting bombs like every other day. Mm-hmm. You know, he, uh, that's the whole story with him. You know, the, the Padres organization as a whole, they they don't try for home runs. I know that they're definitely not teaching guys to swing for the fences. They're teaching them to see what's the strike and hit it. And in my opinion, that almost feels to a detriment sometimes where they're just right. they're raising a lot of hitters who are not hitting home runs. So when you have someone who shows up out of college, and I uh, Kevin Charity said that, um, he, talked, he talked to Marcus and he told him, well, at, at UCSB, we're taught, to hit home runs and he, so he came from a college that hits bombs which is another one of those weird draft things here's a guy that the Padres brought in who came from a, a completely different hitting philosophy and it's been it's been working well obviously the one thing you want to see is to get get the on base up and to, to you know 
get the chase rate down. Yeah. But he's just hitting home runs left and right. Like he's a guy who went from a possibly filler, one of those college-age guys that shows up in Elsinore and kind of helps out, to being a guy that yeah, he's got at least another couple of years of possible rise in him and see what happens. For sure. So I wanted to point out, so the Padres announced their non-roster invitees, and two of the guys that we were talking about uh, are in camp, Jordan Guerrero and Chandler Siegel. Um, so happy to see both of them get an opportunity. Um, and then everything you were saying about Michael Cantu was reminding me of Webster Rivas. He was kind of that guy in the organization for a long time. And then he yeah. finally yeah. did get the call up, and he got some quality time collecting yeah. a major league paycheck. Uh, so then one other name I'd like to toss out there is Juan Fernandez. I had a chance to watch him out in Fort Wayne. Uh, the, the one time I had a chance to go out there, what a fun guy to watch. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a fun guy to watch. You make a great point about Rebus too. I mean, that's a guy who went from the major leagues to playing most of last year in double a, and he was, he was helping teach guys, mentor guys, just being, you know, he did not look like a guy who was in the major leagues and then got sent down to double a, like he, he was, he, he was really a helpful um, positive teammate, and that's something that that will keep you going for a while. But that's really cool to see. And then Fernandez, yeah, that's a fun guy to watch. I was surprised how much they were moving him around last year because when I saw him in Fort Wayne, he was strictly a catcher, and he was doing all the stuff, engaging with the pitchers. He seemed like to have the right mentality and all that. Pretty good defender back there too. Uh, but I guess the bat is playing to the point where they're moving him around. They had him playing first base, some third base, uh, even some second base. Um, curious to see what happens with him. They have him listed as a as a catcher on the non roster invitee list. He plays a way better third base than you would ever expect for a guy that has not really done it much until recently. <laughs> and there was one game where um, San Antonio had an infield of almost all catchers because they had Fernandez at, at second, I think, and they had uh, Rivas at first. And it, it was just like their roster had at one point, I think, five catchers on it. <laughs> So you got all shortstops on the big league roster and all catchers on the double A yeah. roster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wellman had all catchers to try to figure out where to put them defensively last year. And he did a really good job of it. Philip uh, Wellman. Have you had a chance about- to talk to the man in person? Oh yeah. Um, the most I've talked to any manager in the organization it has been Wellman. I've, I've been really fortunate for that. How excited are you for him getting the call up to triple A? You know what? I am selfishly disappointed because a big part of my San Antonio trips are our time with Welly. But after all that time in Double A, it is so thrilling to see him go up there in Triple A. Um, I know he's going to crush it. Um, that is just such a huge thing for him, and and just someone that uh, could not be more welcoming um, for us. I mean, we get down to, to Texas maybe once or twice a year and you know fortunately for me John's built up a really good rapport with Wellman and that kind of just rubbed off where I got right in the door there and uh just someone who you know he he's given us so much time and those guys already have to give so much time to they I I, I think minor league managers spend more time at the park after the game than the major league ones because they're having so many development talks and they're having so many plans and then you know they're getting phone calls from the Padres and the Padres aren't getting phone calls from themselves. They're not, they're, you know, they're not in that office, but you know, the, the minor league managers are, okay, this is the plan for this. Or we're talking to this or sending this guy up. They're talking to the front office all the time. And, you know, he's made a, a lot of time for us, which is always so appreciated. And uh, I don't know if I'll get to El Paso this year, but I, I, I know at least a few of us will. And it's really awesome to, to see him out there. 
You know, that's a good point that you made. The coaching staffs and the minors for the forever, it was two guys. Now it's three, maybe four. But at the major league level, now you've got like 10, 12 coaches on a coaching staff. These minor league guys, they wear a lot of hats and they're not necessarily working with a whole bunch of pros. They got a bunch of goofball kids out there that they need to wrangle around too. It's a lot of time. They're at the they're at the park until almost midnight after a night game, guaranteed. Yeah, I uh, I watched. Did any of you guys watch the presser in El Paso for Wellman? Oh, I didn't have a chance to catch that. So I, yeah, I have a lot of time on my hands, but I caught it. And you know, he 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 talked about uh, he's been in Double A for so long, kind of self imposed. Like he he liked being in the Double A area. He liked I liked him in our organization being in Double A, where he's going to tell you what you need to do. And how to do it, like, and he talked about, and we know what you need to do. We want you to get you here. This is what we're going to do our best to get you here. And he talked about that going into into AAA. Like, the philosophy is, like, if you're a major leaguer that comes down to AAA, I'm going to do my best to get you back up to the big leagues. And if you're a guy that comes up to AAA and a prospect that wants to make it to the big leagues, I'm going to do my best to get you to the big leagues. Like, it's his job to move people forward. And... Just the way he comes off, the way his personality feels, it's it's like a like a like a like a tough teddy bear almost, you know, like that deep draw that he has and that no nonsense kind of just demeanor. But he does it in a loving, kind way where it's not like you better do this, you know, like you know, just treats every player with respect, kind of like a player's, you know, player's manager. He's going to have a different philosophy this year versus what he's used to because I mean, there's a good chance Craig Stammen's going to wind up on that roster down there, you're going to have guys that have lots of major league tenure. That's a whole different mentality of person to deal with. Yeah. Well, you're going to have Cole Hamels down there and, and Wellman's been playing, you know, Wellman's been in professional ball for just about this side of the, this side of the, uh, of the millennium. And he's going to know where it's going to take for him to get up there. I'm not going to hold my breath on Cole Hamels uh, flying out to El Paso. All right. My my guess, my guess is that he's going to, He's going to do what he does in spring training. It's either going to work or it's not. And I'm I'm thinking he's going to be retired by the end of March. Are we release him and he goes another deal somewhere else? Uh, I doubt that. No. Okay. Well, hey, Mark, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, when we started this, you guys, you can't see it, but it was daylight where Mark was <laughs> or where we are. Uh, it's now I can barely see him. It's like a Fellini film and it's all dark and kind of crazy. <laughs> Um, do we really appreciate you coming on again? You're our guy now with Mad Friars. Uh, screw John Conniff and the rest of those punks. Uh, we like you better than everyone else. Well, very happy to be here as always, and thank you for having us. <laughs> and you guys, uh, the listeners that are still on, you, take the time. You're going to get so much content out of Mad Friars. Uh, it's fifty bucks a month. I was fifty bucks a year. Sorry, uh, it's like five bucks a month. Um, interviews, daily recaps. We get all our information on the daily recaps from them and the, the games I watch, but it is really worth the the money to invest. Even with the, the diminished minor leagues, they're going to have full content and in-depth interviews with players, coaches, and, and people in the organization. And guys like Mark and, and Dave and John and Kevin and Ben that do the daily recaps, they all have their kind of – it's kind of their own special writing – Kind of structure. I know Mark loves putting in, and we'll we'll say him too. The occasional uh, song lyric, um, or reference. We usually put that in the podcast as well. I just can't yeah, say it's, enough about it's, you guys. Um, it's something I shied away from later on as it got a little more attention. But I might bring it back this year. We'll find it out. Yeah, have some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, That's what dude. it's there for. <laughs> 
All right. Well, until next time, you can catch me on Twitter at Zippy underscore TMS. You can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. And Mark, where can they find you? And I am at Mark F. Wilkins. All right. Until next week, let's go Padres. Go Padres. Mr. Roboto. Thank you very much. Oh, Mr. Roboto. Don't want